The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony Utah Opera Ghostlight Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look at the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm Carol Anderson. And I'm Jeff Counts. Utah Symphony and Utah Opera is unique among performing arts organizations in the scope of our education outreach and the level of legislative and community support we are honored to receive. With us today to talk about this are Paula Fowler, Director of Education and Community Outreach, Kyleen Johnson, Symphony Education Manager, and returning guest Associate Conductor Connor Gray Covington, who leads the Symphony Outreach performances. Welcome to all three of you. Thanks. Great to be here. We're going to talk about the education program in general, but I, we really want to get specific about how you have re-envisioned things for our unique situation this fall. So Paula, the typical education offerings of the symphony and the opera are quite a bit different in terms of the number of performers involved and logistics. How have these two programs operated in the past? There is a hugeness to a symphony education offering. Uh, usually there are 45 to 75 musicians involved, and there might be a day trip or several days um, involved um, in travel getting to a school. But usually when the symphony performs for a school district, um, students are bused into a central large location. The symphony cannot perform at an elementary school because you put the symphony in the cafetorium and there's no room for the audience. <laughs> so um, it always has to be at a large junior high or high school. Usually about a third of the symphony's concerts each year are done for education. So our company has a big investment in education. And on the other side, the opera side of our company, uh, we have an intimate widespreading program. We put five artists in a big van full of sets and costumes and props, and they can go school by school throughout the state. And we keep track of, of when we visit each school in the entire state. Now, before the merger even happened, I realized that's now 18 years ago. Is that right? Yes, and this is Paul. That's correct. To the fact that, Paul is referring to the fact that our organizations merged in 2002 to one organization that's unique in the performing arts world. So even before that merger, Utah Symphony and Utah Opera already shared a vision for education. Uh, we are part of the POPs organization that was started in the 1970s by Marisa Bravanel. He, he campaigned with the legislature that students deserve to hear professional musicians. And since that time, that POPs program, professional outreach programs in school has um, grown to 15 organizations who offer free visual art and performing art programs at schools throughout the state at no cost to the schools, but bringing live artists to give students an experience to inspire them and to support um, and enhance the curriculum that teachers are teaching. So that's a, both the opera and the symphony um, do that. And one of the things that's kind of amazing is that every Utah student somewhere along the way in their school career will see a live performance of an opera or a symphony, correct? Right, part of our agreement is that we provide services in every school district in the state um, on a rotating schedule every three years. I wanna know what went through your mind when you realized that the business as usual you just described was not going to be usual for a very long time. Well, I want to tell you exactly when that happened. 
it was the afternoon of Thursday, March 12th, the date of our final dress rehearsal for our production of the Barber Seville when we were expecting 1,100 students to come see the dress rehearsal that night. So um, the governor gave his speech in the morning and said, let's have a slow uh, backing off from everything, maybe by next Monday. But it, as soon as he said that, everyone just shut everything down. So the theater was closed, all field trips were canceled. Um, the night before we'd had an audience for a dress rehearsal and the next night everything was shut down. So there was a little bit of um, panic and shock, but then I heard the voice of Terry Fisher who in a different situation uh, said, don't panic. Um, and then I thought, as I have had to do many times, we are gonna do something. You know, we're gonna find out what the new parameters are and we are going to adjust and we're going to see what we can do and we are going to stay in motion. And especially, um, you know, as teachers, we're trying to figure out what to do and families were, we saw a great opportunity for us to take every recording that we had or could make, everything Kai and I had made uh, to support teachers and kind of re-envision everything that we had digitally. And there are some really good things. I, uh, we're very proud of what we put together, but we're putting together new things. Yet again, we're making a second COVID pivot um, this fall, but it's, a, it's been a great opportunity for creativity with the new parameters. And that's pretty exciting to be doing things in a new way. And we have a great opportunity to make our services statewide and not dependent on our ability to travel to someplace. So there are some great things about that, but it was a really hard afternoon and weeks and months, but we're doing it, right, Kai? When you had to face figuring out how to do symphony education, how did you approach your look into the fall? Well, obviously things had to be quite different. There's no world in which 2,000 children are bussed into their local high school to observe 75 musicians on stage with all of those aerosols. And no matter how many masks you put on people, it just wouldn't be a safe experience from the buses to sitting in the auditorium. And so we thought of, we've always had this vision of being able to capture a symphony education concert and distribute it uh, virtually for the far reaching parts of our state that we're not able to visit every year. And of course we had this idea for our special fifth grade concerts at the hall that we host every February. So this just added the impetus of experiencing life digitally and experiencing these concerts digitally. And so we want to make a really good product that is going to engage children. Well, and it's tricky because um, in the spring, we were kind of just repurposing things. But now here in the fall, we're all finding ourselves becoming programmers and also TV film producers in a way that we never expected to be. Connor, you've had some great things to say at a staff meeting about your programming and how you and Kyleen are using the symphony players in a different way. 
basically the gist of the idea is we've all experienced a wide range of emotions over the last six months and uh, our program focuses on how music can help us to convey those emotions in a healthy way and just kind of deal with those emotions so we have five different pieces on on the program and the the other exciting thing about the program is that sometimes when we're going into schools and doing concerts for anywhere from you know 500 to 1500 kids with a large orchestra of 70 people or so it's difficult for them to especially the younger kids get an idea of what exactly a violin is and looks like or what an oboe is because there's just so many people there and with this digital program we're actually going to be able to hone in more on individual instruments and so the kids will really get an idea of specifically what each instrument sounds like and how they fit into the whole programming this way has definitely presented some unique challenges but it's also it also presents a lot of opportunities to kind of present a more personal approach to how we do the program, but also to just frankly reach more people than we normally would in, in a regular year. And we're really excited about that. What are some of the pieces or ensembles that we're gonna hear in this digital realm? Kai and I came up with this really interesting narrative and the first piece is kind of maybe when people first found out about this and they were on spring break and their spring break was extended or they knew they were going to have more time at home they may have kids may have been excited about it so it's it's this really kind of like light bubbly piece it's called uh it's a symphony in d major by a fascinating composer named joseph Ballone chevalier de saint george who is a composer that i just came across recently he's fan he's absolutely amazing and led a fascinating life. He, um, his, his father was a wealthy French planner on a plantation in a small island in the Caribbean and his mother was a slave. He, was, uh, he went back to Paris, he was a champion fencer. He led the first black regiment in all of Europe in, during the French Revolution. And he was an unbelievable composer and, and violinist um, and knew Mozart. Um, so we're gonna start with that and then the second piece is uh, the Shostakovich Chamber Symphony, which is a basically expansion of his eighth string quartet. And as with a lot of Shostakovich, there's a lot of angst in it. Um, and so kids were certainly, as not just kids, all of us have certainly felt a certain level of frustration and anger during this time. Um, and then next we have a really interesting piece by an African-American woman who's still alive. Her name's Valerie Coleman. She's a flute player. And uh, the piece is called Umoja. It's for woodwind quintet. And it means, that word actually means unity in Swahili. And so that kind of embodies how, even though a lot of times we're distant from each other during this time, we've found a way to come together and be together. Um, and then the second to last piece is the Elgar Suspiri, which is a beautiful string piece for string and harps. And it's just, it's kind of, it's a very sad piece because we've all definitely felt that as well. And then finally, we're gonna end up with Fanfare for the Common Man, which will feature the brass and the percussion. Um, and that was written by Aaron Copeland. And it was written in uh, the mid forties and it was, part of a commissioning project from the Cincinnati Symphony that commissioned composers to write fanfares to kind of 
galvanize people to come together and work together and basically just help throughout the war effort during World War II. And, and, and it's a very different situation that we're in today, but I think the only way we're gonna get out of it is to start working together. And so that kind of embodies that spirit of community and hope moving forward. So we're really excited to be able to present this um, to the kids. And we think it showcases showcases just how well music can capture these emotions and, and uh, you know, bring people together, even, even virtually. and Connor, this all sounds amazing. I think it not only showcases what you just said, it showcases this company's great commitment to doing this and doing it well. So I applaud all of you. And I want to go back to Paula for a second. And Paula, please add on to what the two of them said about the symphony. But I also want to give you a chance to talk about what the opera's doing right now in this moment too, because we've had resident artists on the show quite a bit over the years, and we know how much they love the work they do. So please, Paula. Kai mentioned something about uh, putting together high quality uh, visual product this fall. So that is part of the, the second pivot that we're making um, because of COVID. Uh, COVID. Um, uh, we are not just putting up a camera and filming a performance. And in the spring, we did do some things with our resident artists where we just put up the camera and said, talk to the camera, sing to the camera. And, um, and now we have had some time where we can plan with a videographer to have several cameras, um, to get close-ups on the instruments, to get close-ups on the vocal soloists. And we're also taking advantage of having a good filmmakers working with us to, um, to expand what we're offering in our performance programs. So we're gonna film Connor giving introductions to the different parts of the concert in iconic spots around Abravanel Hall. So students across the state can get acquainted with our building as well as um, have a beautiful musical and emotional experience. On the opera side, our resident artists are going to perform their scenes, which they would do with just, you know, a few bit of costume pieces and a few light props that have to fit in the back of the van. We're fully costuming um, some of their scenes and filming them in the costume shop at the production studios and out on the loading dock and in the scenic shop and out in front of the building. And we're also filming at the Capitol Theater out in the lobby and on the stage there. So students will get the experience with our venues and hopefully want to come to these um, special places when it's possible for them to come to performances again. On the opera side, we are remaking programs and we are going to have a film program for elementary school students. We're working on ways that we might be able to connect a classroom with one of our individual artists after they viewed the program. So they could do a live Q and A and maybe get the artist to sing a solo for them um, at the end. And then we're also experimenting. We have some funding that has come through from a grant from Utah Education Network. And they are also going to help us distribute our product to the classrooms. Um, 
but we are getting a, a projector and a screen and everything so our artists can do a live Zoom with um, choral classes um, throughout the state who sign up for the opportunity to have a program with them. And we're filming some short bits, some scenes, and a short opera, The Better Man, um, to be part of that program as well. So it's, it's pretty exciting, can you tell? <laughs> to get to do these things in a new way and um, and figure out the methods to do. We've got a lot to figure out yet, uh, but um, we're really excited and we're gonna figure it out. We're very confident we can do it. I have no doubt. And I I, I love the, the fact that you mentioned this new way because that's what I wanna ask all of you about next. Kai, we'll go to you now. I wonder all of this new stuff that's happening, all these new initiatives, do you secretly hope that some of the stuff that's being forced on you by this moment will live on in future programming when everything gets back to whatever normal is? I mean, is there a silver lining in all this, do you think? Yeah, I definitely feel that there's a silver lining to all of this. I think that there are a lot of things that we're putting in place now that I hope continue. I hope we're able to continue um, recording concerts and offering them to all of the public school students and teachers in our state because you know, not every group from Penguich, Utah is going to drive up to Salt Lake City to see a, a concert, but they might equally love the opportunity to hear this fantastic music by a professional orchestra and one that's making a product dedicated to children and students and not for adults. We're trying to make it engaging for, you know, 10-year-olds. So um, there's that. And I also think that one of the things that has been particularly challenging in the past is traveling around the state with our 45 musicians. And um, as we're able to utilize these smaller ensembles, we're looking for ways that we might be able to continue this intimate kind of view into classical music and take, take, some, take fewer people on the road um, and provide more intensive learning opportunities for those further rural reaching parts of our state. So it's exciting. I mean, having those kind of one-on-one -on -one opportunities with our musicians would definitely be something to look forward to. Connor, why don't you take the handoff there? What for you as conductor and sort of musical curator of the symphony part of this, do you hope lives well beyond this crisis? Well, I think piggybacking on kind of what Kai said as well, just the ability to reach out and provide, you know, maybe reach more students, but also reach them in different ways. You know, not just having the full orchestra going, you know, maybe having, having a string quartet go into a relatively small class setting where kids can really get kind of an up close and personal look. Honestly, for me, I know that there's a huge silver lining in this. I'm not sure I know exactly what it is yet, but I, I feel like there's a lot of things changing, not just in music, but you know, people working remotely and kind of companies figuring out, maybe we don't need everyone to come in the office five days a week and that might not even be the most efficient thing. And you know, then companies are saving money and, and people are, driving less and cutting down on pollution. There's, there's all kinds of, I think, silver linings that will come out of this 
for our industry, the, the orchestra and opera industry, but also for the um, kind of the, the world as a whole. But I think, again, I don't know specifically what those are yet, but I think um, one of the big things is that oftentimes you don't know how much you value something until it's taken away from you. And I think the, um, just the fact that we haven't been able to get together and make music together and go to concerts, it was all, we always knew it was important, but I think this, this situation that we're in has made us really realize how crucial and important it is for our own well-being as human beings. And so I think when we do come out of this, we're actually gonna come out quite a, quite a bit stronger than we were before. can speak I, for my colleagues on the staff, both in our production studios and our in the Bravenel Hall, and share the gratitude we're feeling that we're having music in our spaces again as we rehearse and put these pro programs together. Paula, let's have you with the last word. The education and out community outreach has a really strong mandate to share live music with students and adults across the state. How do you see that continuing and what do you want parents and teachers in particular to know about what you're putting together here? In our education department, we love our mission statement for the whole company, which is connecting the community through great live music. And we think that that describes everything that we do. Uh, Kai came up with the idea for our fall version of our digital programs to call them connecting to classrooms because we have, we're figuring out how not just to work through district arts coordinators and school principals, but to the classroom teacher who is going to make the connection to um, our programs. So we're connecting to classrooms this fall and we're bringing them great live music. It'll be virtual for now, but there will be great experiences um, that we're able to put together. Um, we are in process of making those products right now while the schools are still figuring out how they're going to function um, in the fall. I just have to say the first day for Salt Lake City School District was Tuesday when internet was out and the wind was blowing. So they delayed two weeks to try to figure out how to do what they could safely and online. And then they had power outages. <laughs> so there are lots of challenges uh, right now, but we hope that um, uh, everyone who knows a school teacher will direct them to our Utah Symphony and Utah Opera websites probably in mid-October. We're busy making the products this month and we'll have all the systems ready to go statewide sometime in October. So stay tuned. That's exciting and of course I love being a part of putting these programs together and hopefully people who are out there listening will be directing students and teachers to look for our resources.
Paula, you've already given us a little information, but let's get the complete details of where these education offerings can be found. So all the information and step-by-step and -step, uh, instructions will be on our two websites. So www.utahsymphony.org slash connecting to classrooms and www.utahopera.org slash connecting to classrooms on the Utah Opera website. Before we let you go, we don't wanna miss the traditional ghost light podcast question. Has any of you got a ghost story you wanna share? Well, I do. <laughs> I have not seen a ghost, but I have been a ghost. I know you have interviewed um, supernumeraries for the opera company, uh, and that was a really great episode. Uh, but sometimes opera chorus members are also asked to work as supernumeraries. And we did a production of Il Trovatore a few years ago, and our director decided that the ghost that is often referred to should be in the production. And uh, I may because I'm old enough, I don't know, he chose me as the ghost. And so every night of the performance, I got to sit in the makeup chair for an hour to be made into a ghost and then I had to get out of the makeup to be in the chorus. And then I got to sit in the chair for another hour to be made into the ghost because the ghost appeared at the beginning of the end. And I cannot tell you what a delight it was to be to spend that much time with the hair and makeup people. And then also to be in spooky scenes with special lighting and you know, be scaring people in their dreams as they slept on the stage. I, it was a real blast. Let's hope that's your last chance to be a ghost. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we don't even need to ask you, Kai and Connor, if you've ever seen a ghost because you're seeing one right now on Zoom. This is a first for us. Uh, first time we've ever had an actual ghost on the show. Well, listen, all of you, um, all joking aside, it's great to hear about the work you're doing. A lot of companies are in hibernation right now, but you are not. And we appreciate that. It's impressive and it's an honor to talk to you today. So Kai, Paula, Connor, thank you very much for being on the Ghostlight Podcast today. If you haven't yet, it would really help us if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us to get new listeners across the country and internationally. Until next time, I'm Carol Anderson. And I'm Jeff Counts. Thanks for listening. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced and edited by Robert Bedont. The Utah Symphony Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation. <laughs>